0: Uh, your, your wisdom, your gifts, and how you work in this world. And I pray, God, that as we look at another one of your stories and how you work through people, I pray, Lord, uh, that we would see, see you more clearly and see your heart in this. It's all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So like I said, today uh, we're starting this series called Before Calvary, where we're looking at three stories uh, that were before the moment of Jesus being hung on a cross. And so uh, each of these stories will help us or teach us something about the character, purposes, and plan of God. And in this series, I'm going to be using this phrase uh, often that, uh, that I don't want us to do. And it's this, that we would settle for the scraps. Imagine that you uh, were making a meal for a group of friends, inviting a bunch of people over to your house, and you're using all of your famous family recipes, right? Because it's going to be absolutely delicious. And the time finally comes where you invite people over to your house. And imagine that as the table is laid out and prepared, if the people you invited came over and they decided to sit on the ground and said, oh, we're just going to settle for the scraps, you would say, there's something wrong with you, right? What's going on here? Were you raised by dogs? I don't understand, right? But, but when that happens, I think... If that were to happen, we would say, man, that is just not how it's supposed to be. And for these three stories, I think there's a tendency for us as people to settle for the scraps, to look at the things that seem to be falling off the table and say, that's the most important part of the story. But God wants us to embrace the beautiful meal that he has prepared for us. And for that, today, we're looking at this really weird story in the Old Testament, before Jesus' time, of Abraham and Isaac, A story of a father and a son. I uh, absolutely love this time of year. Uh, and you might be thinking, well, he's a pastor, so he's probably really excited for Easter. True, but that's not what I was thinking, all right? Last night, did anybody watch the basketball game by chance? It was going to like, all right, like 10.30 at night. I love March Madness. This is my favorite time of the year. Anybody fill out a bracket by chance, all right? Okay, so it's estimated that 70 million people, 70 million brackets were filled out this last year. And if you know, if you've ever filled out a bracket before, you've never filled out a perfect bracket because that has never happened before. In the history of the tournament, not one person has chosen all of the right teams all the way through. Now, my uh, my dad sends out a bracket challenge every single year, and it's become like a family thing. And my son, Malachi, who is eight, loves to fill out his bracket. And, uh, and if you were to come over to our house, you would notice that when you walk in, that is our front door, and we have our four brackets that are up on the wall. And every game that is played, Malachi will go up to look at his bracket, and then he'll look at mine. He doesn't really care about his mom's at all. All right? But he goes to his and he looks at mine, and he sees the game that's being played, and he says things like this: "All right, Dad, Duke's playing right now. There's no way the Duke is going to lose." right, dad? And I'm sitting there thinking, like, that's what I think, yeah, but there's a chance that Duke could lose, all right? And and I noticed that, like, Malachi, like, keeps that, like, Whatever, uh, that kind of relationship between him and I. Like, it'll be an argument with his sisters in the back of the minivan, and we're driving to St. Louis, and he'll say, no, Raylan, it takes like eight hours to get to St. Louis. Right, Dad? (laughs) Actually, no, it takes like four, unless we run into a bunch of traffic, Like, but whatever. Or like, man, it's going to be, it's really sunny outside. It's going to be a beautiful day outside. Right, Dad? Well, I'm not a weatherman, but, like, I think so, right? Or, like, like, hey, Dad, can we eat pizza tonight? It's just a perfect night for pizza, right, Dad? This is your mom's decision. I'm not going to fight this one, all right? This keeps happening over and over and over again. Even in the things that just are unpredictable, there's a level of trust that he Right now, and I'm sure that'll change when he gets a little bit older, but right now he wants my approval on every little decision that's made. Chances are that you probably have somebody in your life that you do this with. I know I do. Maybe for you it is your mom or dad or somebody that was there for you when you were growing up. Maybe it's a friend or a teacher, a coach, whoever. When, when trust is built, we go to that person seeking, right? Am I in the right place here? Today, we look at a story that comes with a ton of trust, a relationship that has been built, that goes to great lengths and extremes. And today I hope you would see the heart of God and the trust that he provides for you and me. Look at the story here in Genesis chapter 22. We read this. It's a story of Abraham, and it says, after these things, these were the first words that we read. Now, Abraham's story is well uh, laid out in the book of Genesis. We read about him in Genesis chapter 12. We're told that Abraham is called out of his homeland, his secure place, and he goes to a foreign land. This would require a ton of trust. And then he leaves that foreign land, gets known as Father Abraham, has a wife, Sarah, and then this problem happens. We find out in the Bible that Sarah is not able to have children. And so after this long journey and a couple other stories in between there, we read that miraculously Sarah is told that she is gonna have a child. If you know this story, She's going to have the child when she's like 99 or 100 years old. And and the child's name is Isaac. So Isaac is born. And then the story continues, and we get to this place in Genesis chapter 22. A, A small little statement that the author brings. After these things... After all of this drama that has happened, they've settled in. Life is good. In fact, we read that Abraham plants a tree. It's right before this. You don't plant a tree and then move away, right? You plant a tree and we're there. It's a sign that we're staying there. But then, in the midst of life being really good, we read that God shows up and he says this. God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, he said, Here I am. God said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains. Of which I shall tell you. I find in my own life that there are moments and times where it seems like I am being tested. Oftentimes those come when things are going really well. And then all of a sudden, boom, here comes that test. Now, if you're thrown off by the statement there, I want to be clear that there's a difference between being tested and tempted. We read that the scriptures say that God had tested Abraham, and I believe that, that God allows some testing in our lives to build our faith, but God does not tempt us to destroy our faith. That is the work of the evil one, the deceiver, Satan, who desires to destroy your faith. But there will be times, especially those who follow God, where we will will be tested in our walk of faith. And the test that Abraham is given is not some simple yes or no answer. Did you hear what it was? Take your son, the one that you have been waiting for, the one who you have been praying for, the one that you so desperately desired to have, the one who came when you were really old, Isaac, and take him as a burnt offering. If you're unfamiliar with that language, it means that Abraham would go and kill his son, sacrifice his son. And so we read that Abraham the next day He goes and grabs a donkey. (laughs) He brings two men with him and his son Isaac, and they go to Mount Moriah. They go on this journey. It's a 50-mile journey. Imagine you were to leave today, and I was to say, hey, walk to Wisconsin. Just head north, all right? That's how long of a journey that they went on. They traveled by foot during this time. And could you imagine what little Isaac would have been asking as this moment was happening? Scholars will tell us that Isaac is somewhere around the age of eight to maybe in his early 20s. I could imagine him asking things like, Hey, dad, where are we going? Hey, dad, what's up with all the supplies? Or the famous question, Are we almost there? But, but imagine this moment because we read what happens next is this. Then Abraham said to his young men, the two that were with him, stay here with the donkey and I and the boy, his son, will go over there and we will worship and come again to you. Abraham gets to the place. He leaves The two men that came with them, bringing the wood that they brought, a knife, some fire. And then we read this big question that Isaac has. Isaac says to his father Abraham, my father. And Abraham said, here I am, my son. Isaac said, behold, the fire and the wood. But where's the lamb for a burnt offering? This is a big question, right? As I hear this story, I, I think of my relationship with my son. And I could imagine Abraham feeling that same exact moment. Hey, Dad, you forgot the animal. Right, Dad? And I guess I just want us to feel this moment. Feel the moment of Abraham as a father with his son. We read that Abraham responds in verse 8. He says this, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son, so they both So they went, both of them, together. And so they continue up that mountain, Isaac carrying the wood, and the moment comes where where Abraham and Isaac lay out the wood for this sacrifice. Isaac is put on the wood. It's a crazy moment. And Abraham grabs the knife, we read in the scriptures, and he raises it to strike his son. And in that moment, an angel of the Lord shows up and says, do not do anything to him. Miraculously, a a ram is provided, it's caught in the thicket nearby, They take that ram and we read that it continues in verse 14 that Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. Isaac is taken off of that pile of wood and it is said that on this day, the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Now, maybe you've been to church before and you've heard somebody take on this text. And maybe you've heard somebody preach that message or maybe you've read the story before and you've thought, all right, this story is teaching me, well, what's my Isaac? What's the one thing in my life that I've wanted so bad and God is going to test me to say, are you willing to sacrifice this one thing? To show that you care about God the most. And if you've heard that message before or if you think that this story is about that, let me tell you, you are settling for the scraps right now. You're missing the meal that God has provided and invites you in on. Let me explain here. We read at verse 14, it says that the Lord will provide. Abraham says that this moment is a reminder that God will provide. He renames the spot to say, the Lord, it shall be provided. The name that we hear that God is given in this time is Jehovah-Jireh. Anybody heard this phrase before? All right, you can say it with me. One, two, three. Jehovah- and that means literally that the Lord will provide. It's a powerful name. Think about that. God's name is attached to his provision. And in particular, in this context, we read that God intercedes and provides for Abraham. But when I was studying for this text in particular, I was absolutely blown away because I cannot read this story without looking at what God has provided because this story points to a greater provision. It points to the fact of how God has provided for us. And it points to another story about a father and a son, a guy named Jesus the Christ, who is provided for his people. There's so much overlap between Jesus and Isaac. In fact, I want to walk through these really quick. The first one is that we see that both Jesus and Isaac are born in anticipation Isaac was prophesied that he would come. Jesus also prophesied many years before his coming. Both were born from miracles. Isaac born from from an old couple and Jesus born from a virgin. Both were loved by their fathers Abraham had a love and compassion for his son Isaac. And Jesus, when he was baptized, we read that a voice from heaven says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Both went from rest to burden. Isaac, in this moment... When things are good and now they leave to go on this journey to Moriah, Jesus, when ministry is going well, the mission is being spread and now he has to go to the cross. Both went on a three-day journey in this mission that was given to them. Both were escorted by two men to their death. We read, for Isaac, it was those two men that were brought. For Jesus, it is the two men that are hanging next to him. Both were young men who carried wood on their back. Both were willingly submitted to their father's will. I mean, look at... For Isaac, could you imagine in this moment when he is being placed on this pile of wood, like he's in his teenage years and he's got his dad who's in his hundreds. Like, like I'm putting my money on the teenager, all right? Like if he really wanted to get out of that situation, he could have, but he submitted. And in the same way, Jesus, we read, and the Garden of Gethsemane would say, Father, not my will be done, but your will be done. Both submitted to the wills of their father. And both in the midst of that asked questions of the father when the moment came. Isaac saying, where is the sacrifice? And Jesus on the cross would say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But what's really crazy about this story is that not only the similarities that were happening between Isaac and Jesus that would come thousands of years later, that this place, Moriah, the place that they journeyed to, the place that God called them to thousands of years ago would be called this place known as Jerusalem. And Jerusalem was the place where God's people, still exist today, would bring a sacrifice to a God, to God Almighty, saying that we need forgiveness, we need the wrath that you have to not be poured out on us. And if you don't know, this is so important, the place where this event happened is the same exact place Place where Jesus, the Christ, was sacrificed. This story is pointing to something so much bigger. This isn't some story about a father passing some test with God. That's the scraps. This is a story about another father who also sacrificed his son, about a God who not only will provide, but has provided. This story teaches us something about the character, the purposes, and the plan of God. See, oftentimes I think people... When they think of religion, they think of religion being something that, like, I've got to do to please this God. Like, like, like I, uh, to make God happy with me, then I've got to do some things to prove that he should be happy with me. Because that's how every other relationship works in our life. We treat Christianity, unfortunately, or I would just say religion in the same mindset. We think at the heart of it is that I have to offer something to God to please him. I have to give my money, my time. I have to live a perfect life, that I have to do something that he wants me to do so that he'll be happy with me. And when we have this mindset, we have nothing but a moralistic God who is not of the words in the scriptures that we read. Because instead, Christianity, unlike any other religion, and if you're questioning Christianity, I hope you hear this point. Christianity is different from any other religion because it is exactly the opposite of that. See, the difference is, is that before God asks you to do anything, as we talked about last week, he gives you everything. And he provided his son for you and for me. Not that you have to do some things to make Things right, but by his death and resurrection, he gives you everything. Jesus would say this in John chapter 8, speaking of this story. He would know that there would come this moment that he was pointing back to the story of Abraham and Isaac. And he said, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. Because Abraham in that moment saw that God will always provide. And Jesus would say that of that moment, Abraham saw it and he was glad my hope would be for us that when we see this story we too would see it not as some like kind of bar to live up to but it would be something that points us to the greater sacrifice that was provided because here's the thing there's one more parallel between Isaac and Jesus that, quite frankly, just blows me away. I don't know if you were paying attention, but at the end of this moment and story, after the ram is sacrificed, Abraham returns. He goes back to the homeland. But if you read carefully, you'll notice that Isaac isn't with him. Strange. The next time we hear of Isaac, we're told that he is given his bride. The family continues. Jesus goes on the cross for you and me, and he takes a three-day journey down to the pit of hell. For you and me. And may you hear this today. He returns with his bride, which is you and me. And if you're offended today because I just called you a woman, you're missing the whole point. Jesus came for you and me, his bride, the church. And he did it by taking all of the wrath of God on himself. God didn't just forget the wrath. He put it on his son. The one that he announced and loved. And said, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. And it wasn't some trick that he magically put a ram on the cross. No, his son died and rose for you and for me. Jehovah Jireh, God has provided for you and me. Now, I know you might be thinking right now okay, cool. What am I supposed to do? (laughs) Does that mean I just kind of go and do whatever I want and just, you know, it doesn't really matter. Is God just going to love me no matter what? Man, I hope you would hear today that especially during this season and time of Lent, that we would look to Jesus and be thankful for what he has done for us. It wasn't some magic trick that he did thousands of years ago. It was the sacrifice of his son for you and me. And as a result, we are called to be thankful, to live out of joy. And it's because of that, because of what he has done, that God gives us instruction to go and live. It's because of that we trust God in what we do, it's because of that we will look a little strange to the outside world because we'll trust in God and what he has called us to do. We're called to live a life of thankfulness for the ultimate price that God has given. So So when I think back to these moments that I have with my son Malachi, I think back to these times where he keeps saying, right, Dad. I think to my own relationship with my Heavenly Father, God Almighty, and I think back, I think and I hope for myself and I hope for us as a church that we too would be able to come to God and say with confidence, yes, right, Dad. That I would go where you have called me to go, that I would live a life of thanks, but I would do that because of Jehovah Jireh, the God who has provided. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you are Jehovah Jireh, that you are the God who has offered and brought so many gifts, the greatest of them being your son and his sacrifice for us. I pray, God, that we wouldn't settle for the scraps and and see this as just some moralistic piece of how we need to be better pray that we would see it in light of how you have provided for us. And God, with that, would that compel and move us into new areas? Would it deepen our trust in you? And may it make us thankful for all that you have provided and will provide. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.